we are in the book of James. We have left uh, Elijah in a drought for two weeks. The poor guy, actually it lasted three and a half years, so he's going to say two weeks is nothing. Right? But uh, we're going to talk about Elijah again today, and we're going to start in James chapter 5, verse 16, the very end of that. And carry on into verse 17 and 18. I, I'm going to eventually get to verse 18, because that's when it starts to rain. But uh, we still have to uh, endure the drought for a while. All right? James 5, find your way to verse 16. I'm going to have a word of prayer to get us started here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. What a privilege it is to have it. And when we read these things today and our minds go back to what we've been taught, uh, you have given to us the perfect illustration for what we need to see. Thank you for our little study on Elijah here. And I pray that you might bless it to our understanding, bless it to our application. There are things here for us to glean and things for us to do. And I pray that you challenge us with it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The end of verse number 16 in James chapter 5 says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That's a statement. And that is what, as you know, we've been focused on now for quite a few weeks. A lot of weeks. Because we've been talking about prayer. From verse 13 especially on to really the end of this book is on, the focus is on prayer And it says in verse number 17 and 18 that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, you know that my style is to go kind of slow, right? When you go through passages. And if I say I'm going to really slow down now... What do you think that might mean? It's kind of scary, isn't it? But uh, I'm not going to really go real, real slow, but the pastor doesn't normally go fast anyway. If you were one of my children and you were learning to drive, you would have known that. Because we had a a way of, of learning to drive when I was helping the kids learn that they'd go several months before they ever put it outside of first gear. Literally. And Megan said, yep, I remember. Matter of fact, the first two weeks, they weren't allowed to touch the gas pedal. Only the brakes. That was fun. The lesson was stop. All right? And I figured when they got stop right, then I'd teach them how to go. And so that that was for my safety as well as for theirs. But uh, So it took a while, but I think we produced some pretty decent driver. At least maybe four out of six came out pretty good. But uh, um, not bad. Not bad. But I'm in no hurry, to tell the truth. When we're studying God's Word, and we've got some deep things, to wonderful things, to, I'm not in a hurry just to, let's get past it and add another thing to the notch that we accomplish that. I want to see it. And I want to know it. And there's so much here. The depth is just, the, I guess you need to come and sit in the office during the week when I'm studying. It's so much fun to just dig and dig and dig and say, boy, i got to share that too. It's going to add a whole nother month to the schedule, but that's worth it. It's good, good stuff. When I'm studying these things about Elijah, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, 
that there are two things that are emphasized in verse number uh, 17 here, and that is his character and his actions. And his character is stated there at the beginning of verse 17. He was a man with a nature like ours. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today, and that's part of the whole picture here, because sometimes we set him up as somebody quite unique. Matter of fact, he's, he's on a level we can't measure to. If we would read about his prayer life, we would say, wow, I can't do that. That's unique stuff he did in prayer. And yet James makes it an emphasis that he is a man with same passions like we are. And so we want to understand his character better. And then his actions in verse number 17 and 18 are real simple. In verse 17, what did he do? He prayed. In verse 18, what did he do? He prayed. Everything else was the Lord's. What was done in response to prayer was the Lord's doing. The Lord is the only one who could cause a drought, folks. He's the only one that can make it rain, too. That's his department. He called Elijah just to pray. And I think that's a good lesson for us just to stop right there and think about that. He called us to pray. He didn't call us, call us to cause the results of that prayer. We're to trust him, right? And in that way, Elijah was in the same situation we were. He was called to pray. And he prayed. The Lord did the rest. And that's important for us to understand. Because as our topic is living faith. Living faith. Not just some doctrinal statement that you sign and say, that's what I believe. But living out your faith is what we've been studying all the way through this chapter. We should know it pretty well by now. We're to live it out. One of the best illustrations of what your faith is, is the examination of your prayer life. That's important. Because here's the simple fact about it, that prayer is nothing without faith. Absolutely nothing without faith. Because prayer is building reliance upon God. That's why I think he gives it to us. Even though, yes, he knows what you need before you ask it. So, you may say, then why does he make me ask? Because he does it for you, not for him. He doesn't need his calendar filled out. He doesn't need a reminder, a notice throughout the day of what's going on in your life. He doesn't need to get the report of what just happened. He already knows all that. But why do we go before him in prayer? It's because it's a reminder that we are dependent on him. We need the reminder, don't we? We need the reminder that this is a life of faith we're called to. So I've told you before, and I reiterate it, in the five things that prayer is made up of. The first thing is we are needy. And let's confess that right off. We are needy people. And because we are needy people, we have to go to somebody to meet that need. We have to go to somebody else because we don't have it. So we go to somebody that does. The third thing we know is that God is able to meet our needs. We're convinced of that because we've read his word. We know his character. We know his actions. He is able. That's my theology in a nutshell. Right there. He is able. He can, he can do beyond what we ask or think. I believe that. He is able. So I go to him because I know he can meet my need. 
I ask him if he's willing to meet that need. Underscore the word willing in that verse, uh, that phrase, because I prefer his will and not mine. I know I've got a will, and I know I, I think it's the best one. His is better. I would much rather have his will than mine, wouldn't you? Because his is always perfect. And he knows the end from the beginning. And he knows what's best for us, and he knows what will bring him the most glory. I'd rather have that than what I think. So I ask him if he's willing to meet my need. I give it to him. And then, number five, I trust him with the results. I trust him with the results. Whatever the answer will be, it will be the best answer. I know that. Do I trust him with that? That's called faith. That's called dependence, isn't it? Where you say, yes, Lord, whatever you do, that will be the best. That's why Elijah is before us. Elijah. Why is Elijah a good example for us? What is he an example of? That's where we're studying verse number 17. Why is he such a good example for us? I want to take you over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. These first 11 verses are good, excellent verses for us. I'm going to emphasize especially verse number 6 and then verse number 11. So you'll see it, all right? When I read it, you'll hear bold print. No, you can't really hear that. I'll just raise my voice a little. Okay. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. We're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He's giving the illustration of Moses in the wilderness. All right? They're coming out under the Red Sea in that study you just mentioned, uh, Karen. He's going out into the wilderness from there. And that's where you picture them at the start of this. They're with Moses. There, they're in the cloud, in the sea. And they all ate of the same spiritual food, and they all drank from the same spiritual drink. They were all drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. Did you hear the bold print? Bold print. Notice. They happened as an example for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. That's a pretty good warning. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. The golden calf incident. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Okay, craving evil things, idolatry, immorality, trying the Lord, grumbling. Boy, is that a list. How many of those are carried into the book of James? Remember, be patient, be patient. Strengthen your heart. Don't grumble, don't complain. Ooh, 
Okay, don't be like that. Don't be like them. They are perfect illustration for us to say, let's not do that. All right. Sometimes there's illustrations of people who say, now let's do that. And there's some people who teach us that's not the best thing to do. Right? That's what we had in this list. And it says in verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, you see it, upon whom the end of the ages have come. So, why is Elijah a good example for us? Well, following that same concept, he's to teach us something. He's to illustrate something for us. If we go back to our James passage, we know what it is, because the context tells us that. We're told, well, in Ephesians, or Corinthians there, we're, we're to avoid evil things. Elijah lived in an evil day. We're to be instructed into what is right. Nuthesia is the Greek word. We get our word, if you've ever heard of nuthetic counseling, nuthetic is to put it to the mind. All right? It means put it to the mind. And that's what these illustrations are for. It's to put it to our minds so we don't forget. This is what we are told to do. And Elijah's character is sometimes intimidating, I know. But he is one who is a man with a nature like ours. He's an illustration. He's one that we're supposed to learn with. What, what do we know about him? He's an example. Verse number 10, James 5, of... Suffering and patience. Suffering and patience. As an example, brethren, of the suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He did. And sometimes he said, boy, he had it easy. He was fed by birds. Sounds easy to you? Well, we read the text a couple weeks ago in 1 Kings chapter 17. He was told by the Lord to announce there would be a drought. Then he told by the Lord to go over there and sit by a brook and wait. He was under the drought too. The brook was there for a while, but it dried up. The birds brought him food, but he sat there. He sat there. He watched the water level go down. He watched it dry up. He was still sitting there with a dry brook when the Lord said, okay, time to move. Most of us would have already been strategizing. All right, Lord, I could say, at this rate, two weeks, it's going to be done. I think I better move on. No, he sat there. Because the Lord said, sit. So he did. And the Lord said, okay, I'm going to move you now. I'm going to move you from there all the way up to Phoenicia, placed outside it. I'm going to put you right in the heart of Baal worship. That's where it's from. You're going to go and sit among those folks. Matter of fact, you're going to sit with a widow who has nothing. Matter of fact, she's out picking up her last meal provisions today. You're going to walk up to her and say, feed me. It's a great story, isn't it? She says, oh, I only have enough for one meal and then we're going to die. He says, no, feed me first. It went on and on and on. The Lord provided for her the food supply she needed every single day for the length that he was there. Now, some people try to figure out how long that was. It could have been up to two, maybe three years. 
He was there for practically the duration of the drought. And that's an amazing thing. And while he's there, he's watching how the Lord provides. The Lord provides. The Lord provides. We talked through this in 1 Kings 17. And then the day came when her, her son became ill. So ill, he died. She was quite distraught. She blamed Elijah. Elijah took it before the Lord and asked one word question. Why? Just like you and me would have done. Lord, you're setting this up perfectly to provide for this lady every single day. And this is really a strange thing to do. Why? Why? You know what happened, though? He prayed about this. And what did the Lord do? He restored life to that little one. Took that little one back downstairs. Handed that little one who was now alive back to its mother. And she says, now I know (laughs) there's a God in Israel. Now I know. Elijah went through those things. He wasn't immune to the suffering. He wasn't immune to the drought. He went through it all. He's an example of suffering and patience. We see that. He's an example, as James 5 verse 10 says, as an example. I told you this before. This word in the Greek means to actually trace it out. Set that example down, put your tracing paper over it, and draw it just like you see it. All right? Now, we're, we're called to do that. Because when a man is doing what God has called him to do and living by faith, we're supposed to copy that, aren't we? So we take what he has done and copy it out and say, I should be doing that too. Now that doesn't mean you're going to pray for droughts. Most people wouldn't like you around here if you did. That doesn't mean you're going to be fed by a bird. That doesn't mean you're going to sit by a brook. doesn't mean you're going to go up to a wicked part in our country and feed a widow for, for three years. It doesn't mean you're going to bring anybody back from the dead. It means that you're going to be patient. Even if you're suffering. That's what they're examples of. Patient in the midst of suffering. That's what living faith ought to look like. We're seeing examples of patience and suffering. We're seeing examples, according to verse 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man. We're seeing an example of a righteous man. Shouldn't we take that and sketch it out too and say, I want to be that way? Of course we should. I want to encourage you on that. Be righteous. Alright? Do we have people who lived it out and showed us how to do it? Yes. Copy them. Copy them. Elijah was that kind of man. Fervent in prayer, it says in verse number 16. The effective prayer, a fervent prayer. Should we copy that? Absolutely. Wouldn't that be a great thing if we were all fervent in prayer? Wow, that would be fun, wouldn't it be? I think you guys are pretty good at prayer. We've seen the Lord answer so many things here. The last eight years, look at Dorothy back there. She got a good report on her latest test on looking for what she dealt with before with cancer. Clear. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's wonderful. But see, we need to come. And we say, wow, that is an answer to prayer. We see all these things that the Lord has done. When do we stop and say, thank you, Lord, for that? You've been so faithful. 
to us, but let's mark it. He has been faithful, but you folks have been faithful in prayer too. Fervent prayer is a good thing. And any time we get an example of it, let's trace it out to make sure we're doing it right. Okay? That's what Elijah was, a man of fervent prayer. We see that too. He was a picture of endurance. Verse number 11. Verse number 11. We saw this. We count those blessed who endured. And he's an example of that too. One who endured. He stuck in there. And boy, when you start studying the life of Elijah, you can say, you know what? He wasn't exactly a perfect example of all that, was he? Because we know he ran for his life. We know that he wanted his own life to end at one point. He was about as depressed and as low as you could get. There's some parts of this. There's little dips in it, all right? But there's a lot of things the Lord taught him that we can learn. What is all this about? When we're studying the life of Elijah, and we come to verse number 17, we first mark his character. He was a man with passions like you and I. He hurt like you and I. He, he suffered like you and I. He understood the pains. He understood the anguish. He understood it all. And his example is not one you would have wanted to step into. And I don't think that he would have wanted to step into your life either. He was ministering when Ahab was on the throne, remember? One of the worst men you're going to find in the Old Testament. Elijah had to minister in those days. He was a righteous man. He was willing to follow the instruction of the Lord. He came into Ahab's presence just quickly to announce, the Lord lives, and you're going to get to know that. That was his message. He does exist. As much as you've tried to ignore him, I'm here to declare he does exist, and you're going to acknowledge that before I'm done. That's his message. That's what he went to work with, with a wicked man named Ahab. I don't know what that was like to go and talk to a wicked man like that. I do my best to avoid those situations. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go where that kind of thing goes on. I tend to run the other way. God said, go to him. He went. He went. I don't know if he struggled with that. Lord, really? Could you imagine that conversation? Really? No? It's not recorded in Scripture. I just speculate. I put human emotions to it a bit, reactions a little bit, because he was a man with the same passions like you and me. It probably kept him up at least one night. Just to think, really? We put our fears on him. We've seen him as a man who can fear. We see his weaknesses. We ought to be more like him, I think, willing to go rather than to disobey the Lord. Willing to go because the Lord simply said go. Willing to help. Really, what would, what would come of this? Just ask yourself this. What if he went to Elijah and said, Elijah, you need to know the Lord exists. And Elijah would say, you're absolutely right. I'm going to repent right now and make it right. Would that have stunned Elijah? Probably. Would it stun you? Yes. We don't know if that's going to happen. He didn't expect that from the, the widow, who finally came to the conclusion, you know what, the Lord really does live. Took a lot to get her to that day, didn't it? Elijah went and declared what he was told to do. There will be no rain except by my word. That's what he said. James 5.17 tells us, 
He prayed. That's the action. He prayed. Now, we know it was the Lord who withheld the rain. It wasn't Elijah. Most of Elijah's story takes place during the drought. Do you know that? Most of what we read of Elijah, Mount Carmel, you know, the prophets of Baal and all that, that's during the drought. All of these events that we read in chapter 17 and 18, they're all during the drought. The widow, that's during the drought. The boy that died, that's during the drought. The prayers, those were during the drought. He suffered like we would. He was called to faith. Living by faith in a sinful world. By the way, we have to too, don't we? Have you ever noticed what the world looks like right now? This is not an easy place to live. It's not an easy world to live in right now. Guess what we're called to do? Live by faith. Live by faith. Same passion, same weakness, same pains. We all come to know that. And yet we're learning in this process. When the Lord gives a message, speak it. When the Lord says go, go. When the Lord says stay, stay. That's not real complicated, but it's not real easy. When he says, arise, go, get up, move. These are the things we learn from Elijah. Even the question, why? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Was it worth going through all this for that answer? I left you with this a couple of weeks ago. Was it worth it to Elijah? In that episode with the woman whose son died. What if the child never revived? Was it worth it to Elijah to still be a man of faith? What if the woman had never responded? Would it have been worthwhile for Elijah to have lived by faith? Would he still have lived by faith? Or does he need miracles to support that faith? You see, the question is, do we look for miracles to support our faith, or do we have faith in the one who does miracles? There's a difference. Because if we're putting our faith in miracles, we're going to be disappointed. If we're putting our faith in the Lord, He always does more than we ask or think. Always. Exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. We can't see the end, and we may not see the reason, but we can see the Lord. Trust Him. It sounds like a mental puzzle at times, I know. But here's the simple picture. The example before you, both in His character and in His actions, was He trusted the Lord and obeyed without the results being known. That's what He did. And I don't think that's any different than you and me, is it? The things we're praying for right now? Do you know the end result? No. Can you trust Him with it? That's where we're at. That's what we're called to do. Trust Him with the results.
Trust him with the results. When we finished 1 Kings 17, there was still a drought. There was still a drought. I want to step back just for a second here this morning and say, why was there a drought? I mean, the Lord had a lot of options, didn't he? He could get people's attention in a lot of different ways. Elijah didn't say, hey Lord, let's try a drought. That wasn't his choice. Elijah didn't set up the plan. It wasn't something that uh, Elijah did to produce a drought. This was God's doing, the drought. In your car, you have a dashboard. We call it the dashboard, right? Instrument panel, whatever you want to call it. And it's got dials or meters or little digital numbers that pop up there and tell you either how fast you're going or how empty your tank is. But it also has these little red lights. Have you ever seen them before? Usually they pop on at the most inconvenient time. And sometimes they pop on and you see the smoke come up out of the hood. You say, whoo, that, that light knew what it was talking about. Sometimes you see a light and you say, I don't know what that is, but I'm sure I could get another 100 miles out of it before I check it. The first time, actually, I'll tell you this because... It's, it's a little on the embarrassing side, but it's, it's kind of funny, too. The first time I'd ever seen a check engine light, I had just bought a car, a used car from some old Chevy, and I got in that car, and I started down the road. I hadn't gone three or four miles down the road, and this light pops on. And I said, ooh, what's that? And it says, check engine. So I did. Here's what I, I thought. What, what does that mean? And I went and I opened the hood and I said, yeah, it's in there. <laughs> what does check engine mean? I had never seen that light before. And I said, well, it must not mean something important. So I just went on. That became my nightlight. You ever have one of those? Anytime you're driving and that's on, you say, well, the engine's in there still. But this, this was, that was a puzzle to me. We have lights now all over the dashboard. You ever notice that? What are they there for? They're warnings. They're to tell you that something's not right. Okay? That's what they're meant for. Something's not right. God has red lights on the dashboard in the Old Testament. They were markers to his people, the Jews, to say, you're not right with me. Here is the red light that pops on your dashboard to say so. And he gives them a beautiful chapter to know what they are. Deuteronomy 28. Let's go back there for a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is God's warning manual for them to know if they're not right with Him. Now, there's a, a chunk of this chapter that talks about what good things are going to come if you're following me. The Lord says, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. And it covers every aspect of their life, from their animals to their homes to their cities and their prosperity and everything else. But in the contrast, Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, these are the red lights on the dashboard. It shall come about, the Lord says, that if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses 
will come upon you and shall overtake you. These are the red lights to say you're in trouble. Why? Because they did not obey the Lord, right? What would happen? Verse 16. Cursed shall be you, or you be in the city. You're in the city, your red light pops on. Cursed shall be you in the country. Now, there's not too many options between the two. Country, city. Red light's on. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. That's what you have in the refrigerator, pretty much. There's red lights there. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Your children, your produce of the ground, obviously your harvest, your herds, your flocks, they're all flashing red right now. Cursed shall be, shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Well, that covers everything. And, verse 20, the Lord will send you curses and confusion and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Notice that last line. Because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat. Boy, doesn't that make you think for a minute? And with the sword and with blight and with mildew, and they will pursue you until you perish. The heavens will be over your head like bronze and the earth under you like iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land, will make the rain of your land powder and dust from heaven. It shall come down on you until you are destroyed. We call that drought. The Lord shall cause you to be defeated before your enemies. And you will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways before them. And you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Can I keep going or do you got the picture? The Lord doesn't pull off the gas pedal here either. He keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. He says, these are your warning lights to say you're not right with me. And I would think, living in a day like that, if those things are flashing, I would say, if that's my problem, I better get right with the Lord. Because the Lord does not stop, does he? He wants them to change. He wants them to come back. He wants them to obey. He wants them in that good relationship with Him. And these are His warnings, and they're pretty severe. Pretty tough stuff. So, we step into Elijah's day, and guess which light is flashing on the dashboard right now? It's called the drought. And it's a big one. Three and a half years. Folks, what would that do to our community? Three and a half years of drought. And it wasn't just Israel, because we know in Phoenicia they were having that too. That's where Elijah went to spend most of the time, and she didn't have much either. Three and a half years, there's lights flashing there. And these people were running full speed into evil, and they didn't want to stop. They didn't want to stop. Now, 
Today, in our day and age, I think we live in a wicked world. I think we live in a wicked world. I think we're called to live by faith. I'm saying I think. I read it in God's Word. We're to live by faith. And the world is in a high-speed mode right now, ignoring God's Word. Living every way they can contrary to it. And boy, is it being shoved on us, too. It is. You say, well, what do you do about that? Well... I don't think I should stand up here and say, you know, your life ought to be healthy. Your life ought to be wealthy. You ought to have full tables and your bank book should be full and your business should be booming and your team should be winning and the Cubs get the World Series. I don't think that's what we're called to do. You know reality. As a believer in this congregation, we've seen difficulties, haven't we? We've been called to walk by faith. We've seen struggles. We've seen families hurt. And we've been called to walk by faith. We have seen finances struggle with. People struggle with finances. Health issues. Boy, that's always on the prayer of concerns. And we're to live by faith. We have brothers and sisters that go to be with the Lord. And yet we're called to live by faith. We've seen prayers in the waiting rooms. We've seen those who are hurt. We've seen the accident. We're supposed to hurt with those who hurt. We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to walk by faith. All the time, right? All the time. The setting's always changing, but it's never easy. Somebody once said that this world is a lousy place to live, but it's a great gymnasium. And I said, okay, that's probably true. It's hard there. But I wouldn't trade real living with you for phony things that people try to sell us. I wouldn't. We are called to grow in our faith and take the events that cause our faith to grow. And that's where Elijah was in all this. We're not immune to trouble, and he wasn't immune to it either. Do you know what Ahab called him? The troubler of Israel. He says, oh, here comes Elijah, the troubler of Israel. It wasn't Elijah. The guy just needed to look in the mirror. He was a troubler. But it's easy how the world will pass that blame on to the believer. It's the believer's fault. It's the righteous people's fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. And we're just called to live by faith. We're not immune to troubles. We're not immune to being blamed for it. But we're not to be quitters. We're not to be... Faith wimps, if you want to turn for it. Looking for the easy exit. Running off when he says sit. Staying when he says go. Being quiet when he says speak. Faith that's called living is not easy. I just say that, straightforward. It's not easy. Ask any example of the Old Testament if you want. It's not easy. But it is rewarding. And I want to mark that for you. As we're bringing our thoughts just to a close at this moment. It says in Hebrews 11.6, Without faith, it is impossible, underscore that, impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. That's a great Greek word there. He exists. (laughs) We believe He exists. Your faith will show that he exists. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder 
of those who diligently seek him. Do you believe he rewards that kind of faith? Now, it may not be that the drought disappears. It may not be that the things are resolved down here. But eventually we're going to stand before him. And I want to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What does it mean to diligently seek him? The word is a great word in the Greek. Exeteo. It means to search him out, to investigate, to crave. To crave. And it leads, by a Hebrew, Hebrew concept, it leads to worship. Now that's a thought. What did, what did Job do when he lost everything? It says he actually sat there and worshipped. Worshipped. I think there's plenty here for us to put to mind. What do you think? If we're going to sketch out Elijah here a little bit and say, hey, he had a tough time. Yes. He was in the drought. Yes. There were, there were tough society. Yes. He did what the Lord called him to do. Yes. He was an example to us. Let's trace that out, okay? Let's trace it out and say, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. A guy who lives by faith. A lady who lives by faith. Not only is that what we should do, and that's what the Lord rewards, but folks, our world needs people like this. There's not enough Elijahs running around today. Maybe we can be one. Maybe we can be one. People look at us and say, hey, I'd like to be like that. Somebody's tracing you right now. Do you know that? They're tracing you out to see if they want to be like that. What a kind of example are we setting? Heavenly Father, this is where we are today. The issue of faith is before us again. We're called to live that way. Not just talk about it, but to do it. And it's not easy, I know. But it is rewarding. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. How it challenges us all the way down to the very core of who we are. And this whole issue of prayer and faith, it it resembles our dependence on you. Really, it does. And so we're examining these things, Lord. That's the topic of our study. We're examining these things and seeing what kind of faith we're living. And I thank you, Lord, for being so diligent to challenge us, as your word does, week after week after week. It brings us back to this point, this very point. Do we trust you? Do we trust you? And do we live like that? Help us with it, Lord, for we need this. All of us, even if we have some degree of success in walking by faith, we need to grow. We need to grow. And as we grow, may we encourage one another along the way. May we build up one another. May we support one another. May we keep that eyes always before us on our Savior and live in such a way that you are pleased, Father, that you are pleased. And we thank you for our study today in Jesus' name. Amen.